This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts, leading the league in podcasting entertainment. Welcome in, my friends. My name is Mike Rankin, and you are listening to Behind the Pen. I want to give a huge shout out for all you guys who are listening, following, subscribing, commenting, sharing. It's been awesome. Thank you all for the support. Thank you most of all for listening to Behind the Pen. As you all know, I'm I'm a pretty big baseball guy. And on tonight's show, I really can't talk about baseball very much only because there's so much going on in other sports that are quite frankly more important than the first 10 games of the baseball season. Even though both Chicago teams right now are doing very well, especially the Cubs who are going to win the World Series. I'll just say that. Oh, And, you know, it kind of sucks, though. Last week, I recorded a show with Ricky, and as soon as I got into my car, I turned on 670 of the score to listen to the Cubs game, and what do I hear? Sat Pad Hughes' voice. And whenever I hear Sad Pad Hughes' voice, I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, what's going on here? You know, and then here it is, seconds later, Kyle Schwarber is on the ground in pain, and I'm like, oh, no, this is not good at all. And then, you know, eventually he gets taken away on this motorized cart. And I'm sitting there like, well, hopefully he's not out for the season. And then the next day, he's out for the season. But if you haven't seen the injury, uh, I cringe every time I I see it. I kind of have to turn away. Running for a ball in the outfield, left center field, him and Dexter Fowler collide. And now Kyle Schwarber has a torn MCL and ACL. And now he's out for the year, which kind of sucks. But it's not... Super devastating to this Cubs team because of their depth and versatility. And I think they'll be fine. I know they'll be fine. They'll be able to overcome it. But that was just, I had to get that in, you know, because I'm a baseball guy. Baseball is my favorite sport. And I can't really talk about it in depth tonight. But what else do we have on tap? We have bowl season over. Thank you. Finally, it's gone. I'm, I'm tired of it. What else? The NFL draft news. It's less than two weeks away, people. Like, we're already NFL draft time. It's never not NFL season. And the Rams of Los Angeles, formerly of St. Louis, made this huge deal to take over the number one pick from the Tennessee Titans. I'll get into that very shortly. And then also, the NFL schedules have been released. And I'm a Bears fan, so I got to talk about the Bears. And you know, for the people who are like, oh, you know, you're an idiot for looking at the schedule before the draft and before all these teams have gone through training camp and preseason or whatever screw you this is the part this is fun this is the fun part of it the schedule gets released of course i'm gonna hypothetically plan out the bear season obviously i can't see the future but it's what it's what you do when the schedules are released so i'm gonna do that just for fun let me tell you as the looks of it so far i think the bears have one of the easiest schedules in the league so if you think 10 and 6 is good enough to make the playoffs and Count the Bears in, that's all I'm saying. But anyway, let me start with this NFL draft stuff because the Los Angeles Rams are like, yo, we're moving to this huge market where people are going to be focusing on us because it's our first season back in LA and we're going to have to make a move because if we want to be good for this fran- for this fan base now supporting a new franchise, we're going to need a quarterback because Case Keenum and Nick Foles are not going to do it. And I think that's pretty obvious. They liked Keenum last year. And Re- I mean, he did some things. He did nice things. He was 3-1 as a starter down the stretch. Stat played pretty well. But Nick Foles, on the other hand, no. Oh, my goodness. He was so terrible. He couldn't complete a pass to save his life. 
So he's not in the picture. So what did they do? They trade up to get the number one overall pick. And that tells you something. They didn't trade to anywhere below number one because it's been apparent that the Cleveland Browns have been high on taking a quarterback at two. And the two quarterbacks have been Jared Goff and Carson Wentz as the two top quarterback prospects in this draft. So the Rams move up to one, trade the Titans all of this value. And good for the Titans, by the way, in this transition process. That's how you want to get better is build on these draft picks and and invest in the draft. That's how you get better in the NFL. So the Rams got a first-round pick, a fourth-round pick, and a sixth-round pick in this draft in 2016 coming up April 28th. It's coming fast, guys. And the Titans, in return, got the 15th overall pick in the first round, two second-round picks, which are the 43rd and 45th picks, and then a third-round pick, which I believe is the 76th. So just from that deal alone, they're getting four of the top 76 picks in this draft, which is solid. And then on top of that, yeah, it's not over. They get a first round next year and a third round next year. So that's six total picks. And that's making out, well, that's making out pretty well. And I'm really happy for the Titans. They're in this transition process, as I mentioned. They didn't have to take a quarterback number one. They weren't going to. And that's why Cleveland was licking their chops at two. So they, because their position in need is obvious. Well, they were figuring it to be a quarterback even after signing RG3, and they still have Josh McCown there. But they they had high hopes for a quarterback, and they figured that the Titans, who had Marcus Mariota, didn't need that pick for a quarterback, so they were probably, you know, like I said, they were licking their chops. Now, with the Rams taking over at number one, they're completely changing the landscape of the top 15 picks, quite frankly, because you looked, I mentioned Cleveland, but Dallas might take a quarterback. They might be interested. I know they need positions and need elsewhere, but... Look at the last few seasons Tony Robo's been playing. What, they they haven't had a capable backup in in as long as I can remember. The Cowboys with Romo getting hurt, I don't think they've had anybody. Whedon, Brandon Whedon, Kyle Lorton was their best option for a while. You th- and plus Jerry Jones is crazy. He wanted Johnny Manziel a couple years ago in that one draft, 2013, I believe it was, and that never panned out. He also made a play for RG3, but. That obviously didn't pan out either. So I wouldn't surprise me in the slightest that the Cowboys decide to take a pick. And that would really, really mess things up in the top 10. You move on to 7-8 and eight with the San Francisco 49ers and the Philadelphia Eagles. The 49ers and Chip Kelly, I guess Chip Kelly really likes Colin Kaepernick. That's fine. You can you can like him all you want. But he's, I don't really, I mean, he when he came on the scene, man, I thought he was going to be one of the top quarterbacks because he's mobile. He's got this arm strength. He's making all these passes. He was accurate. But then all of a sudden, he just lost his footwork, and he couldn't complete a pass to save his life. He didn't know how to read coverages anymore. Like, what happened? You know, so Chip Kelly, like, maybe he wants to turn into a, turn to a quarterback in the draft. But I think, it's, I think it's obvious that the Eagles, despite the fact they signed Chase Daniel for some whatever reason, and they still have Sam Bradford on their payroll. They need a quarterback. They're looking at one. So it's very interesting. It's very interesting. Now, the whole Wentz and Goff situation, it's up to the Rams now to decide whether who they value more. And I think, well, Jeff Fisher's made it apparent that Jared Goff is, I think he's leaning towards Jared Goff right now because he's going to private workouts. He's making attempts at scouting him 
more thoroughly than I would say that they are scouting Carson Wentz. Now, the, the, the comparison between the two, Wentz, Wentz is a more pro-style-ready quarterback only because he played in pro-style offense. And, I mean, that's that's saying something, yes, because he, he played under center. He's a pocket passer. He was able to make reads at the line, make checks. And so compared to golf, though, the competition level, I mean, it's 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 skewed because of the division he played in. Now, Jared Goff, on the other hand, he he had a ton of competition. So Jared Goff is playing against better competition. Does he have better raw skill sets? Is he more pro-ready between the two? Maybe Jared Goff takes less time to develop into a NFL-ready quarterback than Carson Wentz, despite the fact that Wentz was in a pro-style offense in college. That remains to be seen. But if I had to guess, I would say, ah, man, that's a good question. Because I don't know, I, a lot of people are high on Wentz and they said that he's number one overall, but if the fact that Jeff Fisher likes Goff so much, he might even go number one. So we got to wait on that. And then that leaves the question of what the hell are the Browns going to do? Because they're not just going to settle for whoever's left if they don't like the guy that's left, right? So say they're valuing Wentz, but the Rams take him. They're not going to go for Goff if they don't value him the same as they did Wentz. That would be a waste of a second pick because look at the value on the board, obviously. So that's interesting. Do the Browns want to trade down if that would occur? That Maybe they're in cahoots with some team now. Saying, all right, look, we got this guy in mind. If he's not there, we're looking to trade this pick. So be ready on draft day. So that could be an option. At the same time, what are the Rams, you know, what do they, maybe the Rams are like, hey, Cleveland, look what we just did. Do you want that first pick? So since, like, I guess they could win with both. I'm not sure, but we'll see. It's very interesting. Well, how does it affect my Bears? Maybe a guy like DeForest Buckner drops to 11 or Vernon Hargreaves, you know? That would be fantastic because the Bears need a position to need on defense right away. And the construction of the draft, it was pretty much set. Like, we had a pretty good idea, a pretty good feel of where guys would fall prior to this major deal. But who knows now? This is this is exciting stuff, especially with all the value in moving parts. So we'll see. We got we got less than two weeks to speculate, but this broke the NFL like a new baby bottom. I'm sorry, that was a terrible analogy, but you know what I mean. This was a big move for the NFL and the NFL draft, and it was a kind of a classy thing because I, I, I saw a story that Jeff Fisher, once he made this deal official, I think it was on the same night as Kobe and the Golden State Warriors breaking the record, so it was on that night. So imagine if that was broken on the same night as Kobe doing his thing and the and the Warriors breaking the record and all that jazz. So they announced it in the morning and it took the NFL world by storm. It's still taking it by storm a few days after the fact. So, cause I'm obviously, I have to talk about it cause this is crazy. So I'm looking forward to the draft. I'm looking for who the bears take, but most now I'm just curious to see how the first 10 picks fall and how that plays out. But yeah, lots of fun stuff there. There was a press conference that the Rams made the day after, as I mentioned, but if you haven't heard, which I'd be surprised if you did because the Bulls are meticulous in this way, the Bulls had a press conference. Follow, as you can see, I'm transitioning into the Bulls basketball, if you couldn't tell. The Bulls had a press conference after their season ended miserably at 42-40. and 40. Now, some people would say, hey, you know, 42-40 and 40 isn't terrible. You know, but I would be happy with a, a plus record. But on the Bulls' standards going into this season with a brand-new head coach, 
a fresh philosophy per se and championship aspirations to finish in the ninth seed on in the East, not even in the playoffs, at 42 and 40. And on top of that, it looks like they're going to get the 14th pick anyway because they're going to, I mean, a chance in the lottery at this point is better than being eliminated in the first round of the playoffs because the Bulls, man, the Bulls were an epic disaster this season. But still, it, a 0.5% chance of landing I don't think they're going to get a, a top pick anyway. So you look at that 14th pick, what are you going to do with that? Ugh. But the point is, the press conference was made on the same night, as I just mentioned, as Kobe and the Warriors, as well as in Chicago, both Chicago baseball teams were on. And the Chicago Blackhawks were in their first Stanley Cup playoff game against the Blues. So you be the judge. What's their strategy behind that? organizing a press conference during the same time as all of this is going on. And I'll tell you my opinion, they're trying to sidestep this, you know? I mean, yeah, it's a big deal when Paxson and Foreman and Hoiberg address the season. But at the same time, it's like they kind of sneakily, you know, they, they kind of sneaked into this little spot where it's like, yeah, we did it. So, uh, I mean, carry on, carry on. But what I'm what I'm getting at is they addressed... The, the, the struggles of the season, and it was obvious. He Paxson admitted that Hoiberg had some coaching troubles, as it, it was apparent, obviously. But he's got to have he's got to figure out what kind of coach Hoiberg he wants to be going into next season. Because from the start, he really didn't have anybody on his side, especially his self-proclaimed team leader, Jimmy Butler, she just immediately kind of dismissed him and said, well, he needs to coach us harder. And that was the start of it, right? And then you had this whole ordeal with Jim, uh, I'm sorry, Joakim Noah. And he said, you know, Joakim Noah, was being, he's the, he is the Bulls locker room. He's the voice. He's the leader. And he was like, yeah, I'll come off the bench. That's no problem. But in reality, you're not. He doesn't want to come off the bench. You know, he's he wants to be in every because that's just the kind of guy Noah is. He wants to be in the thick of it. He wants to be a starter, and that kind of rubbed him the wrong way. So that relationship kind of got, you know, off to a rocky start. And if you and Noah are on a rocky relationship in the locker room, how do you expect guys like Taj and Brooks and all these other? Of course, well, you have to mention Rose, but Rose is on his own agenda anyway. But you know what I mean? That whole flow of the locker room was just kind of bleh from the start. And Jimmy Butler, I'm just going to talk about him for a little bit. I, I have a problem with the way he asserted himself as a leader. And Paxson even touched on this in his press conference, which I thought was interesting. But Jimmy Butler, obviously when Derrick Rose got hurt, he took over, the, and he was, rightfully so, I would peg Jimmy Butler as their leader because he is very talented and he is their best offensive weapon as well as their best defensive weapon. One of the top two-way players in the game, not disrespecting that at all. But Jimmy Butler, the way he took charge as the self-appointed leader and kind of put a little stamp on the coach is like he's like oh well you know I'm Jimmy you're talking to Jimmy Butler here Jimmy Butler can do what he wants and when I say I'm Jimmy Butler I can do what I want that's what he did throughout the whole season on offense he had no interest in being a part of this Fred Hoiberg system and then you pair that with Derrick Rose and it's just like oh this sucks because you're trading away baskets, trading away possessions. It's like, no, I'm the alpha. -uh. I'm the alpha. I'm Derrick Rose. I do this and I'm Jimmy Butler. 
I'm better than you, and I want to be the face of the Bulls, so give me the ball. You know, it was just a lot of that going on, and it was just sad to see because I really did have high hopes for this season. And Fred Hoiberg, I felt like this new philosophy, this instead of just bagging, you know, practicing every day, defense first, next defensive possession first, I, I felt like this breath of fresh air would be enough to put them over the top. And I felt like that the teachings of Thibodeau's defense would be enough for the Bulls to not be one of the, you know, crappiest defensive teams in the league. Yeah, they finished 16th in overall defensive points given up per game, but that doesn't go... They, a lot of the other teams that they were playing, they were just mission, missing open shots. Because if you look at the stats, the Bulls are one of the best against uh, opposing opponent from field goal percentage. And that, I mean... Take that as you wish, but there's a lot of missed shots wide open uh, the other team's face. But I'm, I'm getting off topic here. The whole point is Jimmy Butler, as a leader, kind of took it the wrong route. You know, he, he, he could have, you know, I mean, even Paxson said it himself. You don't talk so much in all of this nonsense as being a leader instead of, you know, you we just kind of do things that make you a leader instead of just harping on the fact that, oh, I'm the guy. I'm the guy. I came here. I The Bulls wanted me. I signed with the Bulls because they wanted me. They knew I, you know, they need me to lead them to a championship. And it's like, that's not how you act as a leader. You lead by example. You lead by taking on this role, not really self-appoint. You, could, you, you can self-appoint yourself, but you, you're not supposed to really, I mean, who am I to say? But I don't, I don't, it just comes off wrong to me. You come out to the media and say, I'm the leader of this Bulls team, and rightfully so, okay? Because, the yes, the Bulls need him to be that leader, but come on, man, you di- you're doing it in the wrong way, and that just affects the game. Anyway, back onto this press conference nonsense. What happened? Gar Foreman is apparently staying put. Why? I have no idea. I think this front office needs a total just reforming. Because look at look at where they are today. And I mean, I bashed the front office in my very first podcast, and I don't really have to keep bashing them, but this, this isn't going anywhere with this unit. They, I need a new set of eyes on this franchise to put together a team that's ca- championship worthy because I am sick of the nonsense that Gar Foreman and, Gar pa- and, and John Paxson are putting together with this, oh, you know, we're, we, we, uh, we're an attractive free agent market place for free agents to land. Give me a break. Their reason for that is that they've made the playoffs in consecutive years. You should make the playoffs in consecutive years if you're in a market like the Bulls. Half of the Eastern Conference makes the playoffs. But in this year, well, that kind of hurts your argument, right? And we've seen it before. Bulls are settling on consolation free agents all the time. But we, like I said, I don't have to get into that aspect. That's just one of the many. Gar Foreman, John Paxson. John Paxson can stay, I guess. He can have a position. But, I mean, you're, you you got to get rid of Foreman, please. But it, at the same time, I say Gar Paxson, or I'm sorry, John Paxson can stay. It's a problem only because he would oversee the operations of the GM as he's doing now. And he has, he has a major influence on this roster. And so far, it's not been, it's not, it produced anything good. They got lucky in drafting Derrick Rose number one. And by all means, I would give him that contract again, 10 times fold because he was the most dominant player in basketball at the time. And he was just filled with just so much value. And, and we, oh man, 
Derrick Rose, vintage 2009 Derrick Rose. Holy, you know, look at the film. This guy was all over the place. I loved him. But then all of a sudden, he, obviously the injuries just totally skewed his career into a different path. Now it's Pau Gasol, one of the Constellation free agents that they signed in the last two years. They were talking about keeping him this offseason. They were trying to resign. They wanted to go all in on resigning this guy. He was a major key focus of this team. He's probably going to walk. But if I was a betting man, which I might be, he would walk. I would if I was Pau Gasol. But in this press conference, Paxson, the major thing that I was looking for is if there's going to be any change in the front office, and there isn't going to be. So, yeah, if, if you... If you're pissed, I am too. But there's going to be a roster turnover. So, damn it, Foreman, you better not screw this up because I'm sick of this mediocrity crap, you know? And we're, we look at the roster now, we're stuck with Rose for one more season. And if, if they try and re-sign Rose, I don't know. I think that they just have to let him go. Pau Gasol is probably not going to be back. Aaron Brooks is probably not going to be back. And I said last week that you dump Noah. Thinking about it now, why not re-sign him for, I'm not sure how much, uh, if you can get him for cheap, that's a very good signing. I would, uh, yeah, his value is diminished on offense, but the value he brings to the Bulls outside of just offensive production is invaluable. And that's one of the guys that you want to keep in the locker room too, when things get rough. I mean, maybe they develop a relationship there, but you, you keep Noah but maybe move guys like Dunleavy and Snell. And I talked about this before, but it's just at what I'm getting at is in the press conference, he addressed that even players like Jimmy Butler and Derrick Rose are, you know, not off the table of being moved. So, I mean, yeah, that's a good thing, but there's a lot of work to be done in this Bulls roster. And I don't really have any faith in Gar Foreman, you know, being the guy in charge doing it. So we'll see there, but damn it, Bulls, what are you doing scheduling this press conference that's pretty important? You know, you're addressing an awful season. And John Paxson, this is the first time you're, you know, making your face public. And I don't know how long, pretty much all season, you haven't, you've been behind the curtain. So you do this on the same night as is Mamba night. You do this on the same night as the Golden State Warriors breaking your franchise record in 73 and 9? Come on, man. Give us, give us something. That's just, I guess, that's just how the bull season is. But enough of them. I'm sick of it. I'm glad it's over. We just have to just wait, and we get to enjoy the NBA playoffs for now, where the Golden State Warriors are probably going to win it all. And if they don't, then ha ha, the 72 and 10 Bulls did. <laughs> so that would be like the uh, you can. That's the argument right there. But. <laughs> We don't have to go into that aspect, like whether or not the Bulls were, the 95-96 Bulls were better than the Golden State Warriors, but hey, we get to enjoy some playoff basketball. That'll be fun without the Bulls, which sucks. I hate it. I hate that the Bulls aren't in the playoffs, but damn it, this is a slap in the face to their front office, and I hope they learn from this, and ugh, I just can't do it anymore with them. But anyway, some positive stuff moving on. Chicago Bears football, baby. Schedules are released, and I'm really excited about that because what the hell? Why wouldn't you be excited about the Bears schedule being released? Because that's, you know, that's the fan in me. I get to be like, hey, look at me. I'm going to see the future, and I'm going to tell you how many wins and losses they're going to have in April before the damn draft. And guess what? I liked, I, I'm, I'm digging it so far. So, like, you know, I think this is a very... You know, it's not. I'm not going to call it an easy schedule, 
But for a Bears team in a second year of this new transition period, who kind of exceeded expectations last year, and call me crazy, we're in the middle of a playoff run, kind of giving us hope for playoffs multiple times. That fell flat, but that's okay. You have enough on this team already, especially after their successful offseason that makes you believe that they'll at least be in the conversation next year. You add the schedule in, I'm looking at it. They open the year in Houston, so that'll be fun. That'll be cool. You know, in a dome, you know, it's cool. Go, go Bears, Houston, Brock Osweiler, I don't know. You know, that's, you know, who, who knows? But there's a lot of primetime games that the Bears are in this season. There's two Monday night games, there's a Sunday night game, and there's a Thursday night game. The Thursday night game is in Lambeau against the Packers, and I'm kind of getting sick of watching the Bears play the Packers in Lambeau on Thursday night football. I mean, it was a lot of fun, don't get me wrong, watching them kick their ass in Thanksgiving last year, but, I mean, how many years in a row have I seen a primetime Lambeau Bears matchup? I take what you can get, I guess. The second game of the Bears schedule in Week 2 was on Monday night against the Philadelphia Eagles at home, so that'll be fun. They play the Dallas Cowboys the week after on Sunday Night Football in Dallas, where they always have success. So that'll be cool. Then, moving on, they play the Minnesota Vikings at home on Monday night in Week 8, and that's on Halloween. And I'm just mentioning some of these primetime you know, matchups that I'm looking at as I skim through the schedule so far. New Year's Day, they play in Minnesota to end the season, and that could be a very, very big game. That could determine a wild card spot. Hell, it could determine the NFC North title. You never know. Who knows what the Packers, maybe they go 8-8. Eight and eight. Screw them, you know? Screw the Packers. Yeah, that's, that's probably not going to happen. They're really good. And in, let's see, December 24th, that's, that's Christmas Eve. The Bears play on Christmas Eve this year. That'll be fun. And they're at home, too, so... Games are, I'm looking forward to that. This is going to be a fun NFL schedule this year, but game by game, week by week, I'm going to do this right now, spontaneous. Ready? Texans win. Screw it. Opening day, yeah, Bears win. Eagles at home against uh, Monday night, win. I'm doing it. Are you kidding me? At Dallas, they play very well in Dallas, but I feel like Tony Romo, he's pretty good. He's pretty good. I don't know. It'll be close. I can't give him a win. I can't just... I can't go on on a limb and say that, even though I'm going out on a limb and predicting all 16 games. You know what? Screw it. I'm giving them a win. They're 3-0. Here we go. And then against the Lions at home, <laughs> bye Calvin Johnson. He's gone. That's a win. You serious? That's 4-0. Let's go. They're playing the Colts in Indianapolis. Andrew Luck, pff, yeah, he's pretty good. Nah, he's, you know, he's pretty good. At home, on the road, that's going to be tough. Okay, if I'm going to be serious here, let's be serious. Okay, they're 3-1 at this point. They lost to the Cowboys. I know they just, I just said it was 4-0, but I got a little ahead of myself. They're 3-1. Playing the Colts on the road, that's a loss. 3-2. Jaguars at home. Blake Bortles, that's an exciting offense. That that could be, uh, I would consider it an upset because I feel like the Jaguars are still not there yet. But they're going to be good. They're going to be dangerous, especially in offense. But I think the Bears take that game. So what? What are they at now? 4-2? In Lambeau, Thursday Night Football, damn it, 4-3. and three. Monday Night Football at home against the Vikings, 5-3, and three. let's get it. Then a bye week in Week 9. So, And also, I like this bye week placement. Instead of, that, you know, it's not four games or three games into the season. It's, it's you know, midway, literally midway through at the halfway point. So that's cool. At Tampa Bay, they're 5-3. and three. I'm giving them a win. That's 6-3. and three. At the Giants, that's a toss-up. It's going to be tough to win in New York, 6-4. and four. 
At home against the Titans, that's a win. You kidding me? You can't lose to the Titans. Seven and four. 49ers, they're getting redemption. Eight and four. At the Lions, screw them. Nine and four. Packers at home. Hey, look at that. Three games left. The Bears are nine and four. Yeah, I'm being a little optimistic here, but, you know, give me a break. I'm a Bears fan, a very optimistic one at that. So I could say that they'll be 9-4 and four at this point, three games left. Hell, they're, they're fighting for a playoff spot. I'm not going to say they're going to win 12 games, but like I said at the beginning of the show, you expect the Bears to be 10-6 and six to make a playoff run. They're right there. So as they finish the season at home against the Packers, as I mentioned, Christmas Eve against the Redskins, and then on New Year's Day, they close it out against the Vikings. That could very well, you know, determine the division. That could be for 11-5. and five. That could be for 10-6. and six. That could be t- for 12-4. and four. I would probably say that's, I don't know, 10-6. and six. At the very, I don't know, I can't see the Bears losing more than nine games this year. You know, I, the schedule is very favorable, and I looked at some site, I forget. It was a credible source. The, they ranked the Bears... At the second is the second easiest schedule in the league. Now take that how you will, but if you hit on the like I've been saying constantly, and you guys have been hearing it, if the Bears hit on these draft picks this draft, hell yeah, they're right in the middle of a playoff run. But you know who's number one? Who's got the number one easiest schedule? And that's that's the damn Packers. So crap. But hey, whatever. You know, second easiest schedule in football as they're announced. This that was just a fun little thing. You can look at it. I'm gonna have Ricky, my big my man, my my super dog editor. I want him to post a link where you can uh, see the schedule if you haven't seen it already, just so it's convenient for you. Because I know you have the ability to just search for a freaking schedule on Google. You know it's not that hard, but just for your convenience, because I care about you. Just li- you know it'll be in the, it'll be in the description below. So lots of stuff we talked about today. We had the draft. And the draft news, that was big. The Bears schedule, the, the incompetence of the Chicago Bulls portraying themselves once again. There's NHL, NHL playoffs going on right now. And the Chicago Blackhawks, ho-hum, are in their, what was it, since 2010 or 2009? Yeah, it's 2009. So what is that? 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, Eight years in a row that they've been in the playoffs? That Okay, one, that takes a toll on the core players like Jonathan Taves, Brent Seabrook, you know, Duncan Keith, who's who's coming back from the suspension. Right now, I'm, I'm recording this on game, the, the afternoon of game two of the NHL playoffs. So, damn it, if they lose tonight, I'm going to be disappointed. But the play of the St. Louis Blues lost game one in overtime. And they're going to get Keith back. They got Crawford back. He looked really good. Um, but the line, the, the top lines with Andrew Ladd, Marion Hosa, Jonathan Taze, and the second line, Patrick Kane, Atemi Panarin, and then Anisimov, like, whew, that's tough. And then you have Shaw, Panic, Kruger, all these other guys filling out in three and four. That Hey, this is a different team as last year. They had to cut salary. Sharp's gone. Sod's gone. But do they have enough? I'm not. Maybe I'm not. Last year, I was super confident that the Blackhawks were going to win the Stanley Cup going into, you know, before the playoffs started. But this year, can I say the same? Probably not. Only because the Capitals are scary good. And, well, the Wild have had their number. I'm not sure if the Wild are going to make it out of the first round, but we'll see. The Kings are good, you know, and the Stars, hell, the Stars have one of the best scoring lines in, in hockey. So, ah, man, it's a tough one in the East. 
or I'm sorry, in the West. On the East, I look at the Capitals. I'm like, they're the they're going to be in the you know Stanley Cup Finals. So you got to get through them. Brain Holtby, kidding me? Historic season. He's playing ten less games, and he's and he's tied the uh, French you know NHL record in wins as a goalie. That's insane. Ten less games, he did it. You know that the TJ Oshie's over there. Ovechkin's over there. They have these crazy ass scores. So I wouldn't, you know, I'm pegging the Capitals and then whoever else in the West, whoever that may be. Um, do the Blackhawks make it out of the first round? That's the main question here. That's a good question because the key, the, well, until the Blues prove that they can, last three first round appearances, they've been gone, right? They've been eliminated. So yeah, I'm hell. I'm I'm still going with the Blackhawks. The Blues might be the better team on paper. You know they get Shattenkirk, Tarasenko, all these guys that can score. But I don't know. Elliot, their goalie played really well last week, uh, the other night on Game One. He played really well. But I feel like you get Keith back. That pairing with Keith and Seabrick will, will, will come to light once more. And I mean, Jalmerson too. Jalmerson worked really well with Seabrook on the same defensive pairing. And then that opened up, I think, or who was it? Was Van Riemsdyk? But Van Riemsdyk was able to work well with whoever he was paired with. And the, the point is, if, I think if Jalmerson and Van Riemsdyk get paired together, I think that's, I think that benefits Van Riemsdyk because of the benefit he gets from Jalmerson. You know what I'm saying? You know, I, forgive me. I'm not the biggest hockey guy, but I want to talk about the Blackhawks because, dude, the Blackhawks in Chicago are just this this crazy redemption story. It kind of reminds me of what the Cubs are going through now. Yeah, they haven't had nearly the amount of success the Blackhawks had, but the Blackhawks were a ghost town franchise. They were just in the books. They were terrible for so many years in the late, mid-2000s. And Rocky took over and totally revamped this franchise, put them back on the air. People, the following came back, hit on draft picks, Johnny Taves and Patrick Kane, Seabrook, Keith, this core that we've talked about, signed Marion Hosa, and look at this. Three cups? Three cups, 2010, 2013, and then last year, 2015, in six years? My gosh, that's... That's impressive. They're going for four and seven, and they they're probably right now. And they've like I said, they've been in the playoffs every year since two thousand nine. Holy cow! What are they? They were so close two two years ago, the year before they won the Stanley Cup of doing it again. But a bad bounce off Seabrook was their downfall. So against the Kings, man, I'm just you know I'm very excited about the Blackhawks, even though I'm not as big a fan of hockey as I should be. I just can't, you know, I'm not as into it as I am with baseball and, and, and football and, and I guess basketball, but let's enjoy this because the Hawks, you know, despite the fact that they're they're recycling talent, still keeping this core player set and they're killing it. They are in the playoffs and against the St. Louis Blues. Game two is tonight. That is April 14th as I record this podcast. I'm going to see they, I'm going to, I'm going to say that they get out. So it's not going to get any easier from here, but yeah, the Blackhawks can, I think the Blackhawks can beat the Blues. If you want a full analysis, they get really in-depth in it, guys. Like you, if you like your hockey talk, you got to just stay tuned to Most Valuable Podcast because Sean Anderson did a really good job of breaking down each matchup and each conference. So if, you, if you're interested in that, check it out. Also, if you're interested in following us on Twitter and Snapchat, which you should be doing, by the way, 
It's at Most Valuable Pod. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Most Valuable Podcasts. And of course, become a fan of Behind the Pen. I hope you do. And wow. Thank you all once again for listening. It's been a lot of fun talking sports with you guys this week. I hope you come back for more. But until then, we'll see you all next time. Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts.